Welcome to the Small Machine Talks, a conversation about literature and art, about duende and queerness and coping and tea, border blur and misfits and community, secret places, ragged edges. Angel House Press. I'm your host, Amanda Earl. Welcome to the Small Machine Talks. I'm Amanda Earl, and this is episode 100, which means that we this is the 100th episode of the show somehow, which I can't believe. And I would can't be um, I wouldn't be happier than I am now to uh, to have uh, one of my dear friends, Christine McNair, to celebrate with me. Uh, uh, we'll talk about why, what, what in particular she's on the show for. But for now, uh, welcome, Christine. Welcome to the hundredth episode. Thank you for having me, and congratulations on a hundred. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you very much. It's it's very nice. Uh, it's it's very weird to be in the state where it's a um, hundred episodes. I really don't know how that happened. I know the show started. I guess it started in twenty sixteen, and we're in our seventh season somehow. So whoop. wow, time is time. weird. What is time? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I'm writing an essay about that actually. But um, yeah. So in part of uh, Christine is here as part of the uh, the the. Um, thread that I don't have a particular title for, but I'm calling it sort of page adjacent and extra literary in a way. So I'm focusing not so much on the text of, of works, but on things surrounding books and stuff like that. So that's, that's well, one of the reasons why she's here. Other than that is the other reason is I've, I've been dying to have her on the show for some time now. And <laughs> this is it. This is the time. Worked so, out. <laughs> yeah, this worked out somehow. So my first question is, what would you like listeners to know about you, Christine? McNair? Ah, yes. Uh, well, I, I am Christine McNair. I am a writer, a book conservator, occasional bookbinder. And uh, I live in Ottawa. I've had Two books out. I've got a new book coming out next year. Uh, and I live a life of books, I guess, in all kinds of ways. <laughs> I live a life of books. That's a, yeah. that's a great, that sounds, it could be like, what, a talking head song or something yeah, like exactly. that. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's got a good ring to it. And sometimes in your bios, you call yourself a book doctor, which I love. I, do. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, it's a bit too informal for most conservators. They don't always like when you call yourself a book doctor, but it's accurate for um how sometimes you approach conservation because you can start to see the books as patients um almost as living entities through understanding them and and under understanding their quirks and and failings so i like using book doctor it doesn't seem as serious as when i say conservator a book and a book and archival conservator working for them you know etc so, so can you talk about your your job as a book conservator or or a a, a book doctor and yeah. what exactly is it? First of all, what do you do? Sure. Yeah, so I'm a book conservator. So I went to school in the UK for that. I went and did a master's degree in book conservation, book and library materials conservation specifically at West Dean College. Um, and what a conservator does is um, some of the lines of what people sometimes envision in terms of the term restore, that they're... Um, getting function back to an object or an artifact, in my case, books. Um, so they make you make them usable, you do repair. Um, in the case of being a conservator um, and working in the field of conservation, it's also about um, 
maintaining and uh, preserving the historical evidence that's in a book or an object, in my case, books. So the book itself as object can contain lots of information um, about how it was made, about the culture that it came from, about um, the wealth or lack thereof of the person who made it or the person who purchased it, uh, give indications about the, depending on the, you know, who made it, what the manufacturing conditions were. So there's lots of interesting things that books can tell us and they maintain those things in their physical presence. So a book conservator works within um, that idea that there is um, evidence in his historic evidence inherent in the object. So we work to preserve that, but also in the case of, for example, books, I do book repair. I do um, things to restore the function. Uh, book is in a book is a form of machine. It's really an engineering feat. So mm. it, it's not a static object. So it, it has to, most books have to function and have to be read in some way or and move. So it's a an interesting kind of mix of repair, um, research into historic practices, materials, um, research into how things uh, break down over time. Um, how something might uh, change over time in terms of um, breaking down with exposure to environmental considerations or just inherent vice, which is my favorite term. In, uh, inherent vice? Inherent vice. Some materials have inherent vice based on how they were made and <laughs> they will break down over time no matter what. So you have to mitigate or understand what that will look like. And then things like I do a lot of things with my particular job. I do a lot of things with teaching and publications, writing, research, things like that. So that tends to be what I I do as a book conservator. I imagine Baudelaire like drinking wine over one of his books of poetry or something like that. Yeah, know? exactly. Or a bunch of opium, you know, people uh, smoking yeah. opium in an opium den and then getting... Generate leather that's been damaged by Victorians is basically yeah. a lot of what inherent vice is. <laughs> That's hilarious. I, 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 well, I mean, it probably isn't hilarious to you, but it's probably yeah. horrifying to you. But to me, it's 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 hilarious. So for the for the physical um, stuff, what what physical stuff do you, like? What do, how do you how do you repair a book like physically? What do you do to so, it? It depends what's wrong with it. So uh, if, for example, the sewing has broken down, I would see if I could repair. Um, and I say sewing because up until the 19th century, all books were hand sewn. Um, it was in the 19th century, they added machine sewing and then it kind of petered off into adhesive bindings um, late 19th, early 20th. But um, and well, sewing went on into the 20th. But um, so I could be repairing sewing. I could be um, doing paper repairs. So that would be using um, new paper to repair losses or to support tears using um, often wheat starch paste, which is a a paste we make up that's the mostly used in terms of archival conservation. Uh, I could mean um, if the if it's a leather binding and the leather is damaged, I could be replacing leather. I could be supporting leather that might be friable and flaking um, with consolidant if possible. Uh, yeah, it, it just really depends on what's wrong. And it and the books I work on they can be anything from medieval books up and or prior. Um, all the way up until modern times. So depending on the book, each book will have its own structure and its own particularities and frailties <laughs> that uh, I might need to adjust. Yeah, it does make it does seem like you have a very human relationship with a, with a book because they have patience, they have frailties. Like I, I mm. it's true, there's a very uh, treasured 
sort of nurturing relationship there between you and the book. Yeah, in my books. <laughs> that makes sense to me. I was going to ask you too about um, how are, um, what's, it's not on that list of questions I sent you, but what's the oldest uh, book or, or that you've that you've ever had to work on? Uh, the oldest book um, I probably ever had to work on was from, I guess, the 1400s. I think that was the oldest one I worked on, which if I had stayed in Europe um, where I studied, I would have worked on things by this point that were older than that. Um, but but um, yeah, and it was working in um, England where I had the most chance to work of things on, of that age. There's not as much here in Canada. Um, the oldest thing in a Canadian collection that I worked on was from the 1500s. But so, That's yeah, real. it's a real range. <laughs> How do they, how do they, I mean, how do they discover these, these books from that era? Like, is it just, are they just hanging around in libraries or, or people's estates or is that? Yeah. In Europe, for sure. And in, in England and Europe, for sure, they're, they're just, they're just around. Um, they just, there's just such a mass of historic books um, going back into time. In Canada, it's a little bit different. We don't quite have as many of those types of collections. A lot of the oldest books in Canada come through religious communities because they were right. some of the oldest people to come, um, but also collectors and um, universities that brought things in as well. They they tend to have the older books. Just, it, it's, and what about you? Do you have in your, in your house, do you own some old books? I do. Uh, probably not as many as I could. I, I, because I enjoy old books. I, I tend to, when I pick up an old book though, um, I'm often buying it for the damage. So, um, okay. I buy damaged books. <laughs> so I buy books missing their spines and missing their covers yeah. and with broken down sewing made with flax and stuff like that. So, I have a few that are probably from probably the oldest is 1600s. There's a couple from the 1600 little leather bindings that have been broken down and are looking quite sad. Um, and then a few from a little bit later than 1700s, 1800s. But I don't I don't overly collect them unless it's a topic I'm really interested in. I once lost on eBay an auction for a book that I would have loved to have. That was an old book that had the most horrible binding. It was uh, an early uh, Venetian printed book from the 1500s, and it had a horrible library style buckram binding. Those things you see in uh, circulating libraries where it has like that kind of shiny plastic cover. Mm. But the, and it had been horribly trimmed. It had just all the worst things that happened to it. Like someone got a hold of this and did bad things. But it was just such a beautiful book on the inside with the typography. And it was such a great example of how you can change the meaning of a book and how people value it by doing something like that. So, yeah, that, that's true. I, I used to go regularly to the antiquarian uh, book uh, book sale that they had here every mm -hmm. October. I don't know if it's still happening, but I used to buy a few. I, I, I remember one thing I got was the English uh, fairy tale, a book of English fairy tales that was uh, yeah. quite beautiful. And then I think I got some Arthur, an Arthurian legend book, but it had exactly that plastic around the outside. But yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the illustrations were pretty neat. Yeah. So mm -hmm. I can see. And I think you actually gave me at least two little books that were, that were, um, one was a dictionary. I can't remember now, but they're, they're around somewhere. But I think one of them, the cover is completely off. So, you know, it's, yeah. it's, I've hidden, I've hidden them somewhere because I'm ashamed yeah. that the cover is off. But, uh, 
Yeah, that's good. But how did you end up like what made you choose like this? Because you decided at some point to go to school for this for uh, to be a book conservator. So how did you decide that? What where how did I guess we're going to talk about the thread of of how you ended up in this field? (laughs) Yeah, uh, well, for for me, what happened was um, I did my undergrad in Nova Scotia in English Lit. Um, and then after graduation, I went to work at Gasparo Press in Nova Scotia, and I worked there as an editor's devil, uh, <laughs> which mostly involved, it was mostly an editorial assistant job, but it, Andrew liked calling it the editor's devil. Similar, there's a printer's devil position that's quite common, um, but he, so he added an editorial twist to my position title at the time. <laughs> Perfect. Um, and then uh, through that process, I got involved with the making of the book. So in terms of things of typography, and I was helping um, occasionally with things like edition bookbinding work that was being done um, by the um, Ruth Legg, the bookbinder there in the Valley. Um, so I got really interested in it. And then I started taking classes in Halifax uh, with Joe Landry, who is a book conservator out in Nova Scotia, uh, who taught at the Dawson Print Shop Um which was at Dalhousie and then became part of NASCAD. Um, and then other teachers as well that I did book bookening. I just got really interested in it. And I just ended up deciding that um, uh, editorial um, work was probably not where I wanted to go. Um, but I did really enjoy the physicality of working with books. And I really enjoyed the concept of book conservation. It kind of covered a lot of things I was interested in, in terms of um, history and the book and science and working with my hands um so yeah so I applied to schools and uh, Joe kindly gave me a recommendation letter (laughs) and that's where I went and I went to do my master's degree for two and a half years in England wow it's it's such an it's it's just I've never I've never known anyone who's done that job before and I've been around Mm -hmm. lots of people in in the world although saying that when I was 18 I worked at this office supplies factory because my mother worked there Oxford Pendaflex and uh, they actually had book binders there. Mm-hmm. They were, uh, I can't remember how many of them, but they were quite old. Well, they seemed old to me. I was 18. They probably were only yeah. or something. They seemed like they were very elderly men and they would come in and they had like this special room and you couldn't go in there unless you, you know, yeah. so it was all very, it was all very private and secret what they did in there. But my yeah. mother explained to me that they, they, they bound books and I didn't really <laughs> We did all kinds of weird things in that factory. I put the uh, round corners on duo tanks with a hydraulic. Oh, nice. And I also um, I put uh, binders in a box and then put them, you know, put the box on the uh, took the box off the skid and put the but you know then they took away the skid and I used to dream of these binders red, yellow, blue <laughs> in my Angus. Yeah, but the, even back then it seemed like it was a rare thing to have someone who did book binding like it wasn't a common yeah. thing, even even and I'm ta- we're talking about um the early 80s you know yeah no by that point I mean they had for a long time um especially overseas they had a, a apprenticeship systems right and it was a big deal yeah. to go through the apprenticeship system say in England um you started quite young when you were in your teens and you went through and that system collapsed in the 70s I think late seven maybe maybe a little bit later um but um yeah, so just there just wasn't that same system um, going forward. So it is quite hard to find bookbinders even now. Uh, there are some very talented bookbinders in Canada, but it but it is a profession that is not as common as it would have been, say, a hundred years ago. 
Yeah, no, I can understand that. And what I wanted to ask you, uh, can you tell us about the first book you ever loved and what you remember about it? Uh, yeah, that's a hard one because it's, yeah. I, I remember lots of books. I remember lots of books from oh, first three books childhood in <laughs> particular. Yeah. So, um, probably one of the ones that I loved, which was not a terribly good book, but I loved it because it was um, one of those storybooks where it was uh, 365 story, like little mini stories for the yeah, yeah. one for each day. And my parents would read it to me before bed. So they had all these like really cheesy 19, late 1970s, early 80s illustrations on it with very odd looking uh, fairy tale creatures. And they were offered in um, fairy tales and myths and um, including ones I didn't know that well, like Irish fairy tales and things like that. So that was probably one of the first books I loved because I loved looking at the pictures, even when I couldn't read yet. And I liked looking at them as I was being read to. So that's probably one of the first books that I remember loving. <laughs> I had I, I, the first one I can really remember is um, we lived across the when I lived in this small town, we lived across the street from the United Church. And the, uh, we lived in this house. Uh, and uh, the minister, the, he came over and he um, somehow he ended up giving me an illustrated Bible. And it was long before I yeah. could read. And and uh, the illustrations, they were paintings. They weren't like yeah. kids. They They're were, the, yeah, it was, and I just made up my own stories about, about the, but then I had like my, my because my uh, brother and sister are 10 and 12 years older than me, they had all these paperback, cheesy and awful paperbacks lying around. So yeah. I remember uh, I was thrilled by, I about eight, I, I, I snuck the exorcist uh, off the table. Uh, (laughs) It was very thick. And I thought, well, I should should read this because it's, it's an adult book. So I should, I don't know how much I actually was able to read, but it felt (laughs) holding this big, thick uh, paperback with this awful, it was like a purple, scary looking cover. It felt there was something magical about that and something taboo about the act of uh, having a book, even without knowing really how to read it properly. (laughs) It's, I doubt I read yeah. very much of it, but I think I remember at one point my mother forbade me from it, so that was it. And I, then yeah. I, <laughs> and I was, I was doing that. Yeah. Um, what else have we got here? How has book work influenced your writing and publication of your work? I li- also like the word book work. I think uh, I mean I've heard you use yeah. it even in your even in your poetry. You use you used it, so I like it. Yeah. Book work. Um. Well, I think it all flows together in a way right because it's um working in conservation working in bookbinding you get a terminology you get a way of looking at things that pulls things apart you get to spend some time considering things like change and damage and evidence and i know i absolutely know (laughs) that all that stuff feeds into my work for sure because not only in terms of the vocabulary but also in terms of the themes i'm very interested in how things change over time and how things carry what happened to them and how, I don't know, how we approach things uh, in terms of how we look at objects, how we look at people. So I think that there is a flow back and forth. I think in terms of, I, I can more easily see how conservation and bookbinding has influenced my writing than the other way around, mm-hmm. except to say that I do feel that my writing and working in publishing and editing has had a positive impact on how I work in conservation in terms of trying to give out information and trying to write things about books and trying to um, explain books and 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 kind of explain my 
um, interest and affinity in understanding these kinds of um, these kinds of how damage can impact uh, the meaning and how damage can tell us things that how we can slow down and look at something like a book or another type of object and learn things about it and learn things about ourselves. So that's kind of how I see it flowing. I know that I pick up the language from conservation and bookbinding and I, I kick it over to the poetry or whatever type of writing. Yeah. Um, but I, I'm kind of a, I tend to be a bit of a magpie that way <laughs> with any kind of language that I get, I, I find. Yeah, I think we're. I think it's it's kind of a common thing, right? I'm always looking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm always looking for terminology and stuff like and vocabulary and stuff like that. That I, I sometimes I just like to listen to someone and I I sort of want, want to take notes on, on the words yeah. they use, you know. So yeah, that's it. So yeah, um, what else? I think you've sort of gone over. But what can you talk about? Anything else about book binding? Like anything else that you particularly like about? Well, we've we've talked a bit more about the book. Uh, conservation what about book binding what is it that you um that you like about it <laughs> uh well book binding can be very satisfying right you go through a process you start with um base materials and then you can put them together in, in various meaningful ways and come up with an end entity based on what your um desired outcome is so i find book binding very satisfying it's particularly working with leather i like doing leather book binding not that I get to do it very much anymore. <laughs> oh. That is the downside of working in uh, full-time work in conservation, as well as just, you know, life. It, it becomes hard to kind of do these things um, quietly on the side. But it, I do like that just working with my hands. And I like um, taking something and transforming it with the, with the hands. So that's partially why I enjoy bookbinding so much. And I particularly enjoy traditional book binding, um, what would be called craft book binding and design binding, though I definitely don't get to do design binding very much. There's all kinds of different streams of book binding. Okay. Um, so there's craft book binding, edition book binding, design book binding, uh, library binding. Uh, then there's book artists. That's a whole other yeah. entity of things. So there's, there's all these different things. Um, and when I worked, when I lived in the UK, I did a lot of just historic rebindings where we were doing uh, reproductions of historic bindings. That's a lot of fun. I enjoy that because then you're researching a particular structure and then um, reproducing it as accurately as you can. Um, and then, yeah, and I did some design binding when I lived in the UK with Mark Cockrum at Studio Five. So he taught me some. So I did some, but it's been what a long time. So. What's design binding? Design binding is its own particular kind of thing. So um, the designer bookbinders in the UK would be a good organization to see different examples of types of design binding. So it's it's approaching bookbinding from a modern perspective where you're usually working with one book. You're just doing one version of that book and you're applying traditional craft skills of bookbinding. So leather work, embroidery, gold finishing, what have you, but you're applying it in a contemporary way. And there can be all kinds of different permutations of that. It still remains most of the time a structural book that you could open and read, and it's um, it's a book, um, but you're approaching it from more of an artistic perspective um, while maintaining the high level of craft, um, which is different from 
book artist stuff, which is which can be a wide range of things, uh, but isn't necessarily as focused on traditional bookbinding craft skills as a base. So I guess that's kind of what I would say. That's kind of a terrible description and probably my teachers would hate it. But that's that's kind of how I see it is that you get to work with traditional craft skills, but you get to twist it around and do all kinds of fun things with playing with materials that um, something like craft bookbinding where you're really doing what you, um, it's a book, like you're doing a book. It's a, it's got a nice leather cover. It has perhaps some gold titling. It looks what you would imagine a 19th century, early 20th century leather binding to look like. It's not necessarily, it might be very solidly made. It might be very beautiful, but it's not necessarily designed to be a statement in the structure or the material design in the same way. I have a, I have this, um, I do this thing called a five minute journal, which is, it's about gratitude. You journal every day, three things you, you are grateful for. You, it's a process, but the, I, I'm on my second uh, book and it's all the, like the pages just crack open. So there are all these loose pages. So I, I feel very tender towards this book because it's, it's, it's all like, it's not, it's not a, it's not a solid machine because it's, you open it and it, it doesn't, the pages are loose, right? Cause they've, yeah. it's, it's been, but it's, it's been da damaged right from the beginning. And I suppose some people mm -hmm. would, oh, you could, you should write to them and get them to send you a new one. And, and, but it's like, yeah, but this makes this one sort of even more like its fragility kind of makes me feel more. I mean, I'm writing in it my own stuff. So actually yeah. I'm trying to wonder whether all my books should be all the things I write in should have some kind of damage of some sort. Yeah. It's me writing in it. So yeah, that's it. But this is a good time to mention too. I'm, I'm pretty sure we'll have the um, episode up by the time you do your, um, you're doing a chapbook binding workshop at VerseFest on Sunday, March the 26th at, I believe it's 2 p.m. and it's $20, I think, I, I could, 3 p.m. Yeah. I think 3 it's 3 p.m., yeah. yeah. Sorry, I, we, we started at 2 p.m., so everything is now <laughs> 3 p.m. at, um, but anyway, there'll be information on the in the show notes as well. So can you talk about what that's going to be, what's going to happen at that? Because I signed sure. up for it. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it's kind of just a short workshop. Uh, materials will be provided, and we'll be talking about chapbooks in terms of um, poetry, in particular. It'll be myself uh, facilitating it, as well as Tiffany Ang Moore, who is a book and paper conservator here in uh, Ottawa, also the uh, program workshop coordinator for uh, the local chapter of the Canadian Bookbinders and Book Artists Guild, the Ottawa one. Um, so yeah, so we're going to look at a couple things. We're going to look at kind of uh, materials. We're going to look at things, understanding things that could uh, make a chapbook physically successful or not. Uh, things like paper grain, things like uh, different potential structures that could be used, sewn or otherwise, for chapbooks. Uh, looking at examples of other types of chapbooks that I have in my collection here, I'll bring and then just talk about some, we'll do some practical hands-on things where we'll make a few different structures, people can take them home. Uh, and we'll probably talk a little bit about stuff that is my particular uh, bend. So understanding things, a little bit of some things like typography that drive me crazy if they oh, don't, not done good. correctly. Just yeah. a little bit, only tiny <laughs> amount, just enough to like things like proportions for margins and things like that that people allow for that and I, a lot of it is still things even though we're talking about chapbooks and poetry things where it's res respecting the book as entity and what it can and cannot do and why some structures might work in some instances and other ones won't and 
not so much about perfection, but understanding why something might work better than another thing. And also, if you don't care about that particular quirk, that's fine, too. So it'll be kind of an interesting little discussion. And Tiffany's going to be there as well to to help out with uh, people in the course and talk a bit about um, other things that uh, are offered locally or will be offered locally again through uh, the local chapter of Cabbage. So. Yeah, it sounds it sounds fantastic to me. I, I was thinking, why hasn't this workshop been offered before? And so it's about time. So I, I really it was, it was Avonlea's idea. So Avonlea just sent me a message and, and and asked if I'd be willing to do it. And I said sure. And I said, then you <laughs> went. Oh <laughs> no, that I that's <laughs> yeah. No, I'm really looking forward to it. It's going to be good. Now you've just mentioned the Canadian Bookbinders and Book Artists Guild, which is also referred to as Cabbage, which makes me laugh. But that's I know. So uh, I, I would like to know more about it. So you're involved in that organization yeah. and uh, there's a local chapter and I'm going to put up the, um, I will put up the links in the show notes as well on smallmachinetalks.com. But can you talk about the guild and what it does? Sure. So uh, the Canadian Bookbinders and Book Artists Guild, uh, we're celebrating an anniversary this year. It's our 40th anniversary. Really? Oh. Yeah. So they were founded um well, 40 years ago, um, by a group of interested bookbinders and people working in bookbinding and book arts uh, in Toronto. Um, and they started from there and expanded ever outward. So uh, it's a nationwide, it's a national organization. I'm the president, current president of the national organization, but there are also chapters in lots of different locations. There can always be more chapters. Right now, there are some um, in a lot of the provinces going across, and there's one locally here in Ottawa. Uh, we do things in terms of training. So we do in-person workshops, both um, uh, in, e in different cities. So there are often in-person workshops in different cities across the country, as well as online, uh, online workshops, online lectures. Uh, it's kind of an interesting um Interesting thing, like most organizations, we have a large landmass and a small population. Yeah. <laughs> so there's a lot of people that have volunteered for a long time with Cabbage, and it's just been run by the enthusiast, enthusiasm and passion of those people for bookbinding and book artistry, letterpress, yeah. what have you. Um, and yeah, and the, you know, it's we've been a, a surprisingly resilient through things like the pandemic. Uh, we've come through. And uh, we're just forever looking out for different ways to share our excitement and passion about bookbinding and book um, artist books, about letterpress, paper making, marbling, all those things. So the local chapter uh, has just started to meet again in person. They're they're actually meeting at the um, when they do a once a month meeting at the Carlton Book Arts Lab, oh, yes. which is in the Carlton Library. Um, and they're going to be offering some workshops in person again. And they uh, often at the monthly meeting, they have like a little mini workshop or a little talk or something about a book related topic. So, yeah, so I'm, I'm quite, I've been involved with cabbage in some way or another, weirdly for <laughs> probably 22 years. Wow. Well, that's that's as long as I I've been uh, I've been with uh, Charles. That's funny. <laughs> yeah. So I I got uh, nabbed by again one of the founding members of Cabbage. She nabbed me when she found out I was interested in bookbinding and was going to be studying in England. She's like yoink just over the summer and uh, nabbed me into doing some editing work on some of the old school 
distance learning that they were doing. And then I've done occasional teaching and things like that. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's a, it's a really worthy organization. Um, pretty low cost to join. And they we also do two magazines a year, uh, little magazines where we have articles about bookbinding and stuff. We've got a new editor as of last as of last year. Yeah. Brain is not working on timelines. Time time melds for me. I don't remember anymore. Time melts. I think time is is messed up for us all. Yeah, yeah I re- there was um I wish I could remember his name, but there was a a, a small letterpress um that um locally that um he asked me to um if he could um take one of my poems and uh make a letterpress broadside and he made this gorgeous thing i think it's three bats press does that mean anyway i i it's something with bat i'm sorry i can't remember but it was just gorgeous. and the thing i've seen a lot of like they do have uh cabbage sometimes they used to have these sales right they used to have like book shows the book arts fair yeah Yeah. the the ottawa is hoping to do the book arts fair again i know possibly in partnership with carlton um, and um, there are equivalent ones that sometimes happened as well in Toronto and things like that. And this year for the 40th, we're going to do a special event in London, which is where the South um, uh, Southwest Ontario chapter is. We're going to have a couple speakers and a little mini book arts fair supply thing there. So as well as some hybrid things, we're going to have a couple of the lectures streamed online as well for members. That's great. It sounds like you're pretty active with that too, though. I don't know where you're finding the time for that. That's I do not know either. I'm not sure I have time. I, I, I think the time is just uh, an illusion. So yeah, what is time? <laughs> but I, I have a very. I'm very fortunate to be on. The, the other board members are are all very uh, keen as well and wonderful. So that helps. Well, if people working in bookbinding and letterpress are looking for um, writers, contemporary writers to match their yes. their great skills with there are a lot of us who would love to have our, our have a, a for few. sure yeah so you know that's a good match i would say just think i would think so too and I, I have a lot of affection for letterpress printers that print contemporary work too because it's mm. a lot of people don't and I, I understand partially why but um but yeah and we have a beautiful letterpress group here in uh, ottawa as well the uh, press gang they're I was wonderful. The press gang. Maybe that's where yeah. this, this person was who I I, I feel bad. I hope he's not listening because I can't remember his name right now. But he used to come to the um, um, small press fair all the time and, and the Bywords table buy a lot of uh, copies of the Bywords quarterly journal. So yeah. I think but it's been it's been a while since I've been at the fair. But I do plan to come back. We Charles and I plan to come back for the June fair. So the oh, Ottawa great. Press Book Fair will be. I have some ideas for Angel House Press and my own work. That's a little different. This I've already come. I've already been starting to um, to plan and dream for June. So, which is one of my favorite things to do for any kind of event is to. I like to take a long time. Like um, I don't like to be like I like to have a long time to plan before I actually. Like I, I almost say no to everything that's like a last minute, pretty much, because I like to. I need lots of time to dream, so I, I insist on dreaming time for my for my stuff. Um, and and then we started to talk about um, artist books. So on that note, you were recently in Banff for a writing. I think what is the residency? Is it what it's called? Yeah, a residency retreat. Like they used, I think, both names. <laughs> I don't know what it's called. Anyway, you were there. You were in bed, which sounds fantastic. And uh, this is because I look at your Facebook page and know it, know everything <laughs> you do by heart because I'm basically a stalker and a huge fan of yours. 
But uh, so during your stay, you visited the Paul D. Fleck Library and Archives at the ba yeah. BAM Center, and you had the chance to look at artist books, which which I'm already like my I'm paying attention a lot to artist books in this in this um, yeah. thread of this um, of the small machine talks. And I always the, my, my big question is, what do you consider to be what is an artist book, and 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 how where do you apostrophize it? <laughs> oh. Yeah, 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 it depends, depends yeah. on both these things. So, um, <laughs> I mean, I think with artist books, it depends who you ask as to what an artist book is. So what I found really fascinating when I visited uh, the library in Banff is their interpretation of what an artist book is, is very different from mine. And that's okay. It's not that that has traditionally been the case that there has been differing um, definitions of what an artist book is. For me, an artist book is a book done by an artist that has chosen the book as a medium. Oh. So however they are using the book as medium, and it can be something that doesn't look like a book at all, right. you know, that can be made with, I mean, there's a beautiful example on the cabbage uh, page that's been shared recently by Deborah Francis, where she took basically a block of wood and cut it into the shape of a book. And it's beautiful. Like it's, 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 um, you can see the heartwood of the, the piece of wood. So I would consider that an artist book. It's using the medium the book as medium, the structure of the book as something to play with as part of your artistic expression. Um, so that can look like anything. It can look like a book, but it is de definitely for me something um, where you consider the book as part of your practice. Uh, that said, other people consider um, artist books to be um, anything by an artist, uh, right up into uh, mass-produced or, you know, small edition, perfect-bound books that were printed at, say, print-on-demand or by um, printers, but discuss art. Uh, for me, that doesn't fall into line with what I consider an artist book, but from coming at it from other types of disciplines, they definitely do. So I found that really interesting when I was looking at artist books, so because a lot of the books that I would recognize in terms of the artists that were making them and um, engaging with the work were very different from people that I knew that were coming at it from a, a contemporary art perspective. They were recognizing other people's work in forms that I wouldn't necessarily consider a traditional artist book, but they did. So I don't know. It's it's interesting to me, and I the the apostrophe thing i should know that but i you know i don't know offhand my brain is is melted it's you know it's like I, almost three <laughs> yeah i've asked i've asked everybody about this actually so far and and some for some people it's the apostrophe after the t and for some people it's the apostrophe after the s so it's, it's, if it's yeah it, it if it's your art own artist or one artist yeah, it depends whether you're talking about artists books as a collection uh, yeah. collection or entity or like yeah Theology, I don't know, or artists, a particular artist book. And in a way, those two like different versions of the word are very much what I'm talking about. It's either an artist book or it's artist's book. It's the words being slippery, I think, again. So. I love words being slippery. And I ask people this question just because of that. When we were, when I was, um, when uh, Joachim Norling and I were working on Judith, women making visual poetry, it was the big question. He had to go through the book and make it all consistent. And we were like, which one is it? You know, yeah, pick like, one, <laughs> pick one. <laughs> I, I can't remember what we landed on in the end. But uh, I mean, I have to say, I didn't even know about the concept of an artist book until mm. uh, I saw some of Michelle Provost's work. 
in mm, that thing, which that's beautiful, where, beautiful. Yeah, and that's where I really found out about it. And I feel like it's to me like um, I don't feel like it's something that we that I, at least I see a lot in Canada, but in the UK there seem to be more examples. I just did an episode with Karenjeet Sandhu. Uh, of the UK and uh, we talked about her um, poetic fragments uh, from the Irritating Archive which is a box and in the box is little books and things and the pamphlets and it's fantastic that to me it's a box with lots of books and is an artist book like it's for sure yeah, yeah, it's with the concept of the book, but it's also done in a kind of a of a of a. It's using techniques that are other than mass production, right? That so that to yeah. me is how I and I I don't know personally. I'm always dreaming of making artist books, and I've I've made um, my books of whim my whimsy is what I've yeah, done. Yeah, I would call those artist books. Yeah, I call them even though I have to giggle at the idea of me as any kind of artist, but I giggle at that me as a poet too. So you know whatever yeah. it's. A label, but what about you? Do you are there a couple? Are there any artist books you can think of that you like that you know of that you like? Oh, <laughs> oh I'm gonna be terrible remembering that offhand. So, like, there are a lot of artist books that I find engaging and interesting, but I, I doubt I'd be able to think of anybody offhand, like just off the top of my head. But I, I, I'm always intrigued with how people approach it because there's so many different ways that you can every which way, every which way of direction in terms of structure and materials and uh, content. Um, and like any type of book binding, like it'll be um, shaped by whoever's making it. So there, ugh, there's so many approaches. I, it's just there's just such a wide field that I, I don't think I could even think. Do you have a Do you have a dream artist? Like if you could make an artist book and you had just imagine you have all the time in the world, you have as many materials that you could possibly dream of at your fingertips and uh, what would you can you imagine what you might do oh man that would be <laughs> a tough one uh if i had all the materials to my fingertips that i could possibly imagine i'd love to do a very odd little artist book um related to to uh, skin uh, in terms of various types of skin. I have a lot of different types of leather and parchment and things like that. Uh, but there's also really cool types of skin like fish skin and stuff. This sounds a bit uh, ridiculous, but I but I, I think it would be interesting yeah, to do a tiny good. miniature book where you're exploring the idea of that. Um, texture, it's very texture based, it's right? It's very textural and it, it's unsettling too, right? Like it's an unsettling thing, even for me who I'm not a someone who is uh, vegetarian or vegan. It's an unsettling principle to work with those materials. So uh, I'd be interested in doing something like that or something with um, certain types of uh, brittle or shell type materials. I think that would be fun. I always loved um, Sailor's Valentine's. So I made one once, a like kind of tiny version of one for Rob, but uh, has... So sailor valentines were these things that they would make on that. Well, they're often things that they bought, like 19th century sailors when they were on whaling ships that were like for their sweethearts made with shells. Oh, okay. uh, and they would often buy them when they were in, because they were not necessarily made by them. They would have been made by um, people of the community where they were. Um, and it's related sort of to scrimshaw. But I thought that would be an interesting material to try and incorporate into a book structure because you have all these um heart-shaped books like kind of these medieval renaissance heart-shaped books that uh you can use similar structures so it'd be fun to play with that at some point 
That sounds really neat to me. And I, I just want to, I sometimes I just want to play with um, like with me, it's, it's always want to play with like watercolor paint and different papers and stuff mm. like that, but I can't bind any, I'm not good at that. And one of the things I've been doing is playing a lot with altered books. I don't know how, how do you feel about altered books? I'm afraid to I have, ask. I have mixed feelings about it. I have mixed feelings about it, but that is definitely shaped by my work in conservation. So um and I, I say this from the perspective, I don't think all books are necessarily precious or meant to last for eternity because that would be unreasonable. We would drown in our books. Um, but I do find it hard sometimes to uh, see altered books. I don't know. I, I'm back and forth on it because I can see the the value and interest in it as well as being, you know, the, just the book conservator clutching her pearls. So <laughs> Clutching your pearls. I love that. Oh, think of the children. <laughs> And get the vapors. You'll get the vapors. Get the, vapors. the worst, though, if, if there's an, you know, a thought process, you know, like there's a there's a meaning behind it. There's a reason why you're doing it. That's much more interesting to me and bothers me less than, say, like there was an Ikea catalog a few years ago where they just tore up books and layered it as like a wallpaper. Yeah. Like <laughs> loose in a bathroom in a bathroom like these loose flowy bits of paper not even completely adhered as a wallpaper to the wall right in front of a shower and this to me was offensive on multiple levels not the least of which that would be horrible and you would develop mold very quickly yeah. so yeah that's crazy i've been i have um in my possession a um uh, years ago, I, I must have got it. Um, I don't know why I would pick it up, but this book by Jack Kerouac called Sketches. And it's a, a, a cute little um, thick book, but it's little. And uh, I've taken it and I've st I uh, must be at least a decade ago, I started to alter it by uh, covering it up and doing erasure on it and also cutting yeah. into the pages and stuff yeah. like that. And it feels very satisfying to me because I get so sick of all the male beats, uh, uh, poets, yeah. writers, uh, you know, all the conversation centered around them when there's mm -hmm. some women to talk about that they couldn't, or there's some women to talk about. So it's partly a cathartic experience for me too. Well, and that, that's a way about pushing against those limits too, right? Like pushing yeah. against these kind of strictures is um, altering things, erasing things, removing things to kind of push against the constraints. So, yeah. But I, I have. Like <laughs> I have no skill. I have no skill. I'm very fascinated by a project that Gary Barwin's been doing. He's got some books outside hanging yeah. from trees. I love those. Those are. Yeah. Uh, I find it so interesting. I don't mind that. I don't mind that. I find it so interesting, though, because I feel like I've um, seen so many different versions of that kind of project where they yeah. um, that writers do are fascinated by it. Mm -hmm. um writers poets not exclusively uh with burying books hanging yeah. books outside uh injecting them with mycelium so they'll grow mushrooms yeah that's uh, Ariel Gordon them to materials and just seeing how they change and I find it so interesting as a conservator too because I can understand when I look at these things I, I, I can understand I can see what they're doing in terms of under you know the the project parameters and how it's interesting artistically etc but I can also look at it and see what's happening physically to it so it's not a mystery to me and it's it's I don't see it quite the same way I also had a my bookbinding tutor for, he, and I think some other poets I know have done this too you can uh, cover books and materials that are attracted to bugs and see what they eat Ooh. so that's kind of fun too so my tutor he actually did that i think he covered his a book in bovril which is like a gravy thing yeah. in the yeah. UK, and then buried it 
in the ground to see what ate parts of it. And then there was this whole exhibition in London about books eaten by bugs and left oh. outside to grow mold and, you know, walls of books left outside to grow mold. It's just this project that just keeps recurring. And I find it so interesting to me because that is also a, a, a theory and entity that I'm interested in, in terms of damage and how things change over time. But yeah, uh, yeah I can see the technical parts of it too. So it's, it's it's a weird thing for me. I don't know. I've, I've, I find it fascinating, but also I, I also find it fascinating that it comes in these kind of waves of these types of projects. So. As a kid, I, I I was little. I was I was probably maybe five, maybe four or five. And I I um I found a, a doll and the doll was naked. And mm. I felt what I did is I buried this doll in the sandbox because I didn't want my mother to know that I had this doll then <laughs> when I and I felt so bad but I, I just thought well I'll 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 bring her out in the, and over the winter the doll was in buried beneath yeah. the sand or wherever it was it might not have been the sand because that seems like it was too deep but uh and then I I somehow she found out about it or I told her or something and she we took it out of we un, unburied it and this little doll and she we washed it she washed the doll's hair and made the doll a little dress like you yeah. know it's like it wasn't at all the reaction I was expecting to get in trouble for yeah. doing this with this doll and I don't know what it was why was I ashamed of having a but because the doll wasn't a perfect doll right it was this yeah. It, it wasn't broken, but it was one of these plastic dolls with yeah. with realish looking hair, and I don't know, it wasn't in good condition. Like I just, I guess I thought because she wouldn't let me keep it because it wasn't yeah. you know, pristine. This doll. Yeah. Oh yes, I I feel like I'm attracted to the idea of the of the burying. I buried um, pages actually at a friend's, um, a dear friend's. I buried pages yeah. of my uh, Beast Body Epic, which is my book about my health crisis I buried some of the pages on pain and we did it just before the basically in, in the fall of 2019 with the theory that we would unearth it in in the spring of 2020 and of course yeah. we haven't been able to because the pandemic came along so yeah. it's still, I don't know what those pages uh if they're yeah. if they look like anything if they look like anything at all when we when we finally are able to do it I'd like to burn what after drying them I'd like to burn whatever's left so I still yeah. have to I like burning. I well, I say I like burning books. That's a terrible thing. The way I say, it. I like burning my books, like my diaries. When I was a kid. Never, never, please don't. Like I like burning my diaries. So I haven't done that in a long time. I've got a clump of them, and I probably should destroy. But uh, I did that all the time when I was a teen. I would, I would burn my little diaries, or I would. I, I think I buried one, but I think the majority of them I would burn. I like preferred complete annihilation, no trace, up in smoke. But uh, you can see that. Um, another thing I find really interesting, you were talking about plastic, though, is this is another thing with some of these projects that I find really interesting because um, a lot of our, our these projects are predicated on the idea that these are traditional materials. And one of my research interests in mo is modern materials in books. So a lot of things in books are not what you would think as necessarily traditional materials. And there might be paper, but there might be polymers in like plastics mm -hmm. in that paper, in, like either in the covering material, even in paper that doesn't feel like there is in the binding adhesive. And those have very different breakdown characteristics than paper, board, leather, flax, cotton. So mm -hmm. to the point where um, a really fascinating article I read was about Cludi prayers I think in, in an Irish well, I think it was Irish, 
Irishwell, I think. Whereas these strips of textiles that um, people would traditionally uh, tie into trees or right near sacred wells. Mm. And they have huge problems now because people are still doing that because it's still a cultural practice that continues to a degree. But none of the modern textiles break down the way traditional textiles like cotton or linen would. Mm. They just exist. So then they just continue to pile up into these massive amounts of textile that they don't know what to do with because it doesn't break down. It doesn't break down the right way. It just takes too long. So I find that really interesting because there's aspects of that in modern books too, but we don't like to think about that. Hmm. That's that's really fascinating stuff. As, as usual, you are always fascinating. This is just... <laughs> so uh, I would like to know, you have a book forthcoming from uh, Book Hug uh, in 2024. Can you tell us more about it? Sure. Uh, yeah, it's a book coming in 2024. Uh, I'm doing the editing stuff now with my editor, uh, Dennis McDonald, who's wonderful. Um, and it's a, it, it started off as a mixed genre poetry, um, creative nonfiction manuscript, and then it's turned into more of a I don't know why I say kind of a blurry creative nonfiction. So it, it's, uh, <laughs> it's not strictly speaking poetry, but it's not strictly speaking uh, terribly straight prose either. Um, it plays a lot with um, language and it talks a lot about things like um, it, it particularly started as a um, memoir relating to uh, the two times that I had preeclampsia, which is a, a disease of pregnancy and postpartum. Uh and then it went further into talking about things um, because I had subsequent health issues around uh, disability, around women's health, uh, around the birthing body, um, larger bodies, um, and just some of the things that I talked about to a degree too, um, about evidence and lack thereof and the archival and how it disappears and things like that. So um, yeah, just these kinds of uh, reverberations of different things uh, on these topics. So it's it. Uh, it'll be coming out probably, I think, in fall 2024 was the plan. But so we'll see. <laughs> uh, it's, I mean, I've I've heard you read little excerpts from it, uh, I think, at a couple of Zoom readings, maybe. Or I mean, was there in person? No, I, I one in person. There was one in person. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think there was one in person. I'm trying to remember. But um, it was at yeah. um, Riverbend. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Riverbend. Yeah, that, that's it. And and so both times I was mesmerized, of course, because you always you always mesmerize me anyway. So uh, so uh, yeah, well, that, we look forward to that book uh, book coming out and all of your other interesting projects and and things and also this uh, this uh, chapbook binding and uh, chapbookery bookwork workshop yeah. with uh, your uh, colleague. Is there anything else you'd like to add before we close? I don't think so. But thank you so much for having me on to talk about books in various forms and formats. It's a pleasure. Thanks to Christine for being on the show, to Jennifer Peterson for who has helped with the intro and outro, to Charles for processing, and to all of you for listening and sharing the episodes each month. Stay tuned for our April episode with Dr. Sarah Bodman, who is responsible for artist books at the Center for Print Research at the UK's UWE Bristol. The episode will be another in our extra literary thread where we discuss page adjacent aspects of literary, small press, and visual poetry subjects. If someone can come up with a better term for that, I wouldn't mind it. So uh, <laughs> thanks for listening. Thanks, everyone. Thank you for listening to The Small Machine Talks. The Small Machine.